Dateline, London, England, 2006. A British Airway employee was asked to either remove the cross that she was wearing or risk losing her job. The employee took her case to the court and sued British Airways, especially in the light of the fact that Sikhs and Muslims are wearing their religious clothing, and she lost. The judge said, in effect, that a Muslim or a Sikh can wear their religious clothing, but the cross is an offense. Dateline, Los Angeles, California, June 2004. The ICLU threatened to sue the county of Los Angeles unless they removed a small cross on its seal. But they could keep the goddess Pomona in that same seal. The cross was immediately removed. Dateline, Mahovi Desert, April 2007. The ACLU threatened to sue to remove a memorial cross which stood there since 1934. The government settled for covering the cross with tarps and boards. Dateline, Virginia, USA, November 2006. The College of William and Mary removed the cross from the campus chapel in order to make it, quote, welcoming to all. The cross had been there for more than 60 years. Dateline, New York, August 2003. An interfaith network called for Christian churches to remove the crosses from the churches, calling them a symbol of oppression. One of them said, we want to tear down the walls that separate us as people of faith. What faith are they talking about? Well, I'm just only going to share those very few ones because I could go on for an hour. Case after case after case of how the cross is being rejected, despised, and stamped out of public life. In truth, we are one generation away from total obliteration of what the true gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Even today, there are many evangelical churches have decided not to identify their buildings with the cross. They may have good intentions, uh, but the problem is they are aiding and abetting in this departure from the truth. None of this, of course, should really surprise us. Why? Because whenever man elevates his own wisdom, they automatically denigrate God's wisdom. Whenever man becomes the measure of all things, God's wisdom becomes foolishness to them. Whenever man thinks uh, that he can save himself, then the thought of God becoming man, dying on a cross and rising again so that he might provide forgiveness of sins and the only entrance into heaven sounds so foolish. We should not be surprised because the Word of God told us not to be surprised. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what the Word of God said. The message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. 
But to us who are saved, it is the power of God itself. You know, the Greek word for foolishness is moreo, from which we get our word moron. That's what foolishness means. In many ways, to the non-believer, it is moronic that a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago can be the only grantor of eternal life. It is moronic not to rely on your own wisdom and on your own strength to bring you peace in life. It is moronic not to depend on your good works and on your effort to bring you, to take you to heaven. It is moronic that the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is the only payment that is acceptable to God for eternal redemption. It is moronic. In the last message, we saw that the shedding of the blood of an innocent lamb was God's idea, not man's. It was God's idea. He is the one who instituted it in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, God Himself instituted it by slaying an innocent lamb, and the blood was shed to cover as a covering for their sin. We saw in the last message how each subsequent generation from Adam and Eve on have followed suit in obedience to God. And we also saw how that shedding of an innocent blood of a lamb was a temporary solution to sin that it was a foreshadowing of the permanent solution. There was a foreshadowing of the cross of Christ. There was a foreshadowing of the completion of God's plan. It was a foreshadowing of the only way that is acceptable to God for the salvation and the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Listen to me. For on the cross, God did not just find solution to sin. God did not just find a solution to satisfy the justice of the Father. God did not just find a solution to deliver us. No, God Himself became the solution. 700 years before the cross, the prophet Isaiah could look down with the eyes of faith, and he sees the cross, and there he said in chapter 53 that God Himself will pay the penalty of our disobedience, that God Himself will pay the full penance of our rebellion, that God Himself will pay in full our debt that we owe to God with which every one of us is born. And I'm thinking about this and the, and the foolishness of the cross and the power of the cross, and I couldn't think of a better example of a person who thought of the cross as moronic in every sense of the word, and later was transformed by that same power of the cross like the Apostle Peter. I mean, the Apostle Peter thought the cross to be absolute foolishness, to be absolute moronic. In Matthew 16, 22, Jesus prepares them to understand that He came for the cross, that He was born for the cross, that He's going to the cross. But Peter didn't like it. Why? Because he understood from his Bible, the Old Testament, that the cross is for sinners, that the cross is for those who are cursed by God, that the cross is for disgraced people, that the cross is not for a perfect, sinless holy, righteous God of very God who became man of very man, and he couldn't understand that. 
In Deuteronomy 21, 23, the Bible said, Cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. And that's all he could understand. And because Peter's human wisdom was contrary to God's wisdom, listen to me, any wisdom that is contrary to God's wisdom, any wisdom that is contrary to God's Word is satanic. It's not just good idea. It's not just his opinion versus my opinion. It is satanic. You say, Michael, how do you you come up with this? Listen to the words of Jesus. He called Peter his chief apostle. He called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a stumbling block for me. You only interested in your own plan, not in God's plan. And even during Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was still not getting it. Getting what? Getting the fact that Jesus left heaven and came to earth for the cross. That Jesus was born for the cross. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the foreshadowing of all of the animal sacrifices that have been offered from since the Garden of Eden all the way to the time of Jesus. And so he pulls out his 32 magnum sword and chops the ear of one of the arresting soldiers. Peter was not easily going to get over his preconceived idea. How many of us get our own preconceived idea, even when we know it's contrary to the Word of God? God can't possibly die on a cross. God couldn't possibly die in full payment for a repentant sinner. It did not make sense to him, and it still does not make sense to millions of people across the world today. Oh, but listen, after the cross and the resurrection, Peter goes from thinking that the cross is moronic to experiencing the very power of the cross that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 1.18. And there he stands up before thousands of people on the day of Pentecost, and he declares, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then he goes into his first epistle that he writes to the church in chapter 2, verse 24. This is a very man who said, Jesus, you cannot go to the cross. And he said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we have been made whole. That's the power of the cross. You see, the natural mind, whether Jew or Gentile, don't accept the cross. You see, to them the cross is an offense because you have to bow to God. You can't save yourself. You dethrone yourself and put God on the throne the moment you believe in the cross. The cross to them is unacceptable. Why else do you think a judge, an English judge, would declare that the cross is an offense, but it's okay for a Sikh or a Muslim or anybody else to wear the religious garb? Why else do you think the ICLU is on a mission trying to stamp out the cross of Christ from every visible place in America? Because to them, the cross is an offense. Why do modern evangelical churches refuse to identify themselves with the cross? It's an offense. And oh, we don't want to offend anybody. You know, to Muslims, the cross is an offense. So, 600 years after the cross, 
they come up with this idea? Well, surely God possibly could not have done this and allowed Jesus to go to the cross. And so that they say that in the night he was being arrested, God whisked Jesus into heaven, <laughs> and then they took Judas Iscariot, because he's a bad guy, and uh, he was crucified. Why? Why all these fanciful theories and ideas? There's a reason for it. To their credit, they believe that Jesus was sinless. So far, so good. But then they say, ah, oh, how could God allow a sinless man to die such horrible death? That's the very core of the offense of the gospel. To them, it's an offense. Humanists like Professor Alfred Eyre of Oxford University in England called the cross intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. To them, the cross is an offense. Darwinians and atheists and agnostics and even those in the apostate liberal church, to them, the cross is an offense. Let me give you four things that God has accomplished through Christ's cross. First, Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the justice of God. Secondly, Jesus died on the cross to redeem His own children. And thirdly, Jesus died on the cross in order to justify the believers before God the Father. And fourthly, Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us to His Father. He came to satisfy His own justice, the justice of the Father. You see, in the last message, I explained to you that it was God Himself who instituted that the shedding of blood of an innocent lamb in the Garden of Eden, it was to satisfy His own justice. God said to Adam and Eve, the day you disobey, the day you go your own way, you shall die. And He doesn't mean just physical death. He was talking about eternal torment, eternal suffering. That's the justice. That's God's justice. That's God's law. But we know Adam and Eve did not die. Why? Because God's mercy and God's grace came into the picture. Because the law says, you do this, you suffer that. That's the law. That's justice. God's law says, the soul that sinned, and who doesn't? It shall die. The law said, you break the law, you pay for the penalty. Somebody has to do the paying. Somebody has to do the paying. And Jesus said to the Father, I will do the paying. I will satisfy your justice. I will fulfill your law. I will do what no one else could ever do. I will pay what nobody else could ever pay in 10,000 lifetimes. Why? Because according to God's justice, only a sinless person can pay for the sinner. Let me just think about this just from a human logic. If I'm up to my eyeballs in debt, how can I pay for somebody else's debt? Yes, a sinner cannot pay for another sinner. And that is why God said it has to be pure, sinless, holy, righteous, absolutely without a sin. And that is why Jesus Christ lived for 33 and one-third of a year. He was tempted in every way like we are tempted, but He was without sin. Let me tell you something. There's so much erroneous 
teaching that is going around that's saying the following, that because Jesus died on the cross, therefore God loves us. That's falsehood. That's false teaching. Listen to this. God loved us, and therefore Christ died on the cross for us. Can you see the difference? Say amen. Amen. God bless you. Because He loved us. And so, when you're facing crisis in your life, when you're facing crisis in your business, when you are facing crisis in your family, when you're facing trouble of any kind, you need to remind yourself that God loved you enough that His Son came from heaven and died for you so that you might rise with Him. The cross satisfies the justice of God. Secondly, the cross is God's redemption. You say, what's redemption? To redeem is to buy back is to purchase. It's to pay a ransom to set somebody free. And every one of us was born, every single person that's ever born, born as slave to sin and Satan. Every one of us were born with our backs to God. Every one of us were born with a condition of wanting to say no to God. It is in our DNA. It's in our genes. But on the cross, listen carefully, on the cross, God paid the ransom and set us free to say yes to God. He set us free to obey God. On the cross, God paid the mortgage and gave us the property. On the cross, God broke the chain and liberated us. On the cross, God bought the deeds from our taskmaster and set us free. Beloved, listen to me very carefully. And I say that with heart of compassion and with every ounce of love. That is why Anyone who continues to be enslaved to any form of sin, anyone who continues to be in addiction of any form, is a contradiction. For a Christian who says that I am saved on my way to heaven and continues to be enslaved to any form of sin is a contradiction. Listen to me. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, that payment included your freedom from sin. Your freedom from the wages of sin. Your freedom from the ravages of sin. Your freedom from the enslavement of sin. You noticed I did not say perfection? Because I know some of you are going to misunderstand me. (laughs) I didn't say perfection. Freedom from sin is different from perfection. I promise you, I promise you, just try it. Every time you and I fall in sin, every time, It is because we have forgotten that we have been bought and paid for in full by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because you and I have forgotten that sin and Satan have no authority over us anymore, that sin and Satan have no power to hold us captives anymore, that sin and Satan have no authority to keep us in their grip, that cross satisfied the justice of the Father. The cross paid for our redemption. And thirdly, the cross covers us with the righteousness of God. Or theologians give it big word, 
Um, I'm a kind of a simple guy. I don't like the big words theologians throw at you and says, justification by faith alone. What's that mean? Well, some people used to say, well, just as if you never sinned. No, that, that's not what it means. That means God is winking at your sin, and God doesn't wink at sin. <laughs> In fact, when Martin Luther discovered this truth of justification by faith alone, he called it the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Archbishop Cranmer The English reformer called it the strong rock of the foundation of the Christian religion. J.I. Packer called it the heart and hub and the paradigm and the essence of the whole economy of God's saving grace. So let me explain it to you. What does it mean to be justified? I have listened enough to Christian people, I really have, through the years, who in their minds they think salvation is like amnesty. They really do. They think it's amnesty. It is not. Being justified before God is not amnesty. Let me explain it. Amnesty is a pardon without principle. Justification is not overlooking your sin. It's not overlooking the wrongdoing. Justification is an act of gracious justice of God. When the President of the United States, as they all do at the end of their time, they start issuing pardons to people, amnesties for people who may have committed crime, may not have committed crime. The President has that power. When he does that, it costs him next to nothing. That's amnesty. But when you and I come to God acknowledging our rebellion and our independence, acknowledging that We wanted to live our own life our own way. When we acknowledge our disobedience, God says, guilty as charged. He would think, oh, God says, it's okay. You know, I'm glad. I'm so grateful you came to me and said that. Uh, No, 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 no. That's not justice. That's not grace. That's not fairness. Guilty as charged, heaven says. Listen very carefully, please. God Never, never, never winks at sin and says, that's all right. Now, Christians make this mistake that when somebody hurts them deeply and that person becomes under conviction and therefore they come and say, I'm sorry, I hurt you, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. Most Christians say, that's all right, that's all right. Don't ever do that. (laughs) Don't say it's all right. It wasn't all right. You need to say, yes, you did hurt me. Yes, I received that pain, but I take that pain as the price for forgiving you and redeeming you. That's the grace of God. That's how you do it. Don't let a person kind of get off the hook and say, well, it's all right. God never says it's all right. But when we come to God in humility and acknowledging our willfulness in sinning, Jesus says, yes, guilty, and you deserve eternal judgment. Oh, but listen, that's not the end of it. (laughs) He says, I have served your sentence for you. I've paid your fine. I have suffered in your place. I went to the cross in your stead. And so grace says, it is my gift to you. But it cost me the precious blood of my one and only Son, my begotten Son. And that's what justification by faith is all about. Faith stretches out its hand 
and receive and say, thank you, thank you. And then you spend the rest of your life saying thank you. All of your life's action, all of your words, all of your lifestyle, all of your resources, all of who you are is saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. And that is why the Apostle Paul confidently but humbly can declare, therefore there is no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Because on the cross, God paid what we could never have paid in a million years. On the cross, God did what the law could never have done for us. On the cross, our debt was canceled, and we were set free. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken so that we may become spiritually whole. On the cross, Jesus was humiliated so that we be justified before the Father. On the cross, Jesus' blood was shed so that we may be cleansed. On the cross, Jesus was nailed so that we may be pulled away from the jaws of sin and death. On the cross, Jesus was lashed with whips so that we may be comforted. On the cross, Jesus died so that we may live forever with Him in heaven. Amen. Finally, the cross was to reconcile us to the Father. Probably this concept of reconciliation is kind of more understandable than the first three. That's why I spend a lot more time on them. It's a familiar concept. But believe it or not, as I said, every one of us were born at enmity with God. Every one of us were born with that desire to do our thing. You see, God demanded perfect obedience, and who of us can meet that demand? God demands perfect obedience, but you know the first word a child learns to say? It's not mommy or daddy, it's no. (laughs) And that is why we teach the children to be able to say yes to Jesus, so that when they grow up and be adults, they can say yes to God. Only Jesus can take my hand, a sinner, a repentant sinner, and place it in the hand of God the Father. And then the Father looks down and He says, you're not my enemy. You're my child. I love you. You see, that's why this falsehood that's going around us that all religions will lead to heaven, all the religions are going to, that they're misleading people. They're taking people all the way to hell. Sadly, breaks my heart. It's misleading. It makes a mockery of the fact that God, before the creation of the world, had a plan that for Him to come down from heaven and die on a cross to be the only way to heaven. A story told about a Russian emperor, Frederick the Great. One day, for his own reason, he decided to visit prisoners in Potsdam Prison. And as he walked past the prisoners... Every prisoner was, saw him coming and began to insist on their own innocence. 
Each of them claimed to be a victim of a frame-up. Each of them claimed to be a victim of some injustice that has taken place. Every one of them was blaming somebody else for their imprisonment. And finally, there was a fellow sat all by himself, his head hanging low, and he said, Your Majesty, I am guilty, and I richly deserve my punishment. The emperor immediately yelled for his soldiers and prison guards. He said, come, get this man out of here before he corrupts these noble, innocent people in prison. (laughs) If you're a person who thinks that you can do some good in life, and because you've done some good, and God is going to let you into his heaven, think again, because that's falsehood. You... And I are like this prisoner in Potsdam prison. Father, I'm guilty as charged, but I know you paid the price for me on the cross of Calvary. Forgive me. And God says, I forgive you because my son paid the price. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.